This episode of Finding Demo Surf Fishing is being brought to you by the Kids Can Fish Foundation. Kids Can Fish is a state and federally recognized 501c3 charitable foundation. They put on camps, clinics, and outreach together to get kids out there and go fishing. We did a podcast episode with them not too long ago. You can take a look back at it and hear about it and read about it. They do a lot of great things for kids, and we have teamed up. We're working together to try to help build that, bolster that, improve it. So head on over to kidscanfish.net. Take a look at all the great things that they're doing for their community, for the kids, and continuing to pass the torch in this awesome sport we call fishing thanks again kids can fish you guys are awesome love what you do again kidscanfish.net Welcome to a new week. It's going to be a good one. This episode's going to be a lot of fun, actually. It's been in the works for, good lord, I think since episode two, if I'm really being honest. Uh, It's been a long time coming, and this week we are finally talking with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, also known as the FWC. This episode is, call it controversial or car, you know, all all sorts of different buzzwords if you want. People have been like, why are you going to talk to them? Oh, hey, when, what can you ask them? Can you talk to them about this? This episode has nothing to do with policy. So if that's what you thought it was going to be, um, I'm going to go ahead and burst your bubble in the first 45 seconds of this episode and tell you, no, that's not what we're doing. That's not even close. Now, this this one is a buildup uh, of a couple of different things that we're going to be talking about uh, with the FWC. First one being the FWC itself. The next one being we're going to actually bump really heavily into their great program, I think, called Catch a Florida Memory. So... So we're going to be talking with Emily Abelera. She is the public information specialist for FWC and Jill Christofferson. She is the fisheries biologist. So lots of cool stuff is going to come through this. Again, like I said in the intro, this will not be any kind of policy discussion. So if you were hoping for clickbait or anything like that, which I don't know how you could because my titles don't do that. That's not going to happen here. This is a lot of information and a lot of fun. So without further ado, ladies, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Brian. And I already messed up with what I said I was going to start with. So, I mean, I'm not even going to edit this. So <laughs> welcome to the show, Emily. Hi, Brian. <laughs> Hi. And welcome to the show, Jill. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. All right. Now everybody's got voices. Boy, I don't know how I messed that up in the first 30 seconds. I'm just on a roll today, I tell you. I'm, I'm just You're winning. doing great. <laughs> Little little encouragement. That's great. That's great. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, let's start off with the front one here and we'll get right into the questions. And we'll, Emily, we'll start with you. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show today. I am Emily Abalera. Um, I'm the public information specialist for FWC. I work for FWC's Division of Marine Fisheries Management, um, which manages Florida's marine fisheries resources and maintains our state as the fishing capital of the world. Um, and we do this through the conservation of fisheries for their long-term sustainability, economic benefits, and enjoyment of the public. I'm super excited to be a part of this team because we get to do so many important things um, and fun things like work directly with anglers to recognize them for some of their amazing achievements, share best fishing practices, and encourage people of all ages and from all backgrounds to get out on the water and cast a line. Nice. I like a little bit of a 
And I feel a little Deadpool foreshadowing in here with one of the parts of recognizing anglers, but we're not going to tell you all about that one yet because that's another episode coming. <laughs> I like it. All right, Miss Jill, and who are you and what do you do? Um, so as you said, uh, my name is Jill Christofferson, and I am a fisheries biologist. I also work for the Division of Marine Fisheries in the Outreach and Education section, uh, subsection, and I'm based out of Jacksonville. And I'm lucky enough to have a good bit of variety in what I do in my day-to-day. So I do everything from uh, managing our Catch of Florida Memory Angler Recognition Program, working on publications to distribute to our anglers, attending events and talking to stakeholders, giving fisheries presentations, um, doing all sorts of um, a variety of marine resource topics. And um, I also get to work closely with our Fish and Wildlife Research Institute staff and what they do, um, get out on the water. So I lucky to do a lot of different things. Y'all both sound horribly busy. <laughs> that You're not was, wrong. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Man. That's this week. <laughs> that was just... We love what we do though. It's busy, it's fun, and it's different all the time. So it's a good, it's a great job. That's great. I mean, when you love Agreed. your job, Agreed. I mean, that's never bad when you love your job. And it sounds like with both of you being in the public side of this whole thing with FWC and education and recognition, that is a lot of hats to wear with all the different zones we have. So bravo. I mean, well done ladies. That I know you got a team. It's not just one, it's a team, but <laughs> hell of a job. That is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And um, we definitely would not be able to do it without our greater team. We have an entire team of outreach and education folks who help us with that. And, um, and of course the greater agency has a larger um, um, community relations initiative, you know, outreach and education is super important to us and what the public thinks and um, how they are interacting with the resource is really important to us. Um, so it's really exciting that we do have people on our team who get to interact with that, who get to interact with anglers every day and, um, and hear what they're talking about um, since they're out on the water so often. I know this isn't a question on here, but I wanted to kind of not really a question, but a statement. I know with the social media world being what it is now, and it's crazy because it, there's so much of it and lots of tagging on social media back to FWC, your office has got to be flooded with tags to go back through and scroll and see stuff and kind of get your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the communities. It, that in itself must be a full-time job. Yes, we definitely have more than one person working on our um, social media team. <laughs> And we uh, and we have a greater team than that who um, who helps with fielding some of that that public feedback. Like I said, we value it, and that, that's one of my favorite parts of working at FWC is that I I feel like I've never worked for an agency that cared so much about um, how the public feels about the resources that we're managing, how they're what they're seeing on the water because there there are more anglers on the water than there are FWC staff. So, um, so yeah, it's just, it's a lot of work, but it's super important to what we do. Good stuff. All right. Now I'm back on track. I promise. But I felt like that, that, (laughs) that is a big piece of the pie. Um, I I don't know who wants to handle this first, so I'm going to throw it out there. What is the FWC and what does the FWC do? The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission is Florida's lead agency working to conserve and manage Florida's fish and wildlife and their habitats through a combination of research, management, recreational opportunities, outreach, and law enforcement. 
Um, the mission of our agency is to manage fish and wildlife resources for their long-term well-being and for the benefit of the people. That is a lot. I, and I don't think a lot of people, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and speak way out of turn here. Uh, I think a lot of people just always worry when they see FWC like, ugh, hold on, let me get my ID ready. Uh, I bet they're going to look in my cooler. Oh, I bet if I say, do you have a warrant? It's like, come on, dude. You have so much work to do. That is not just a single part of the world. You guys are, y'all are just every encompassing when it comes to wildlife. One thing that people don't see when they see FWC is all the conservation work that we do and all of the um, the research and the biology, a lot of what people think immediately is law enforcement. And while that is a very important part of what we do, um, and it's critical to con conserving um, fish and wildlife for future generations, but that's only a small part of what our entire agency does. We're the lead agency on managing fish and wildlife. And so our job and our calling is really important. Um, and it takes a lot of people and a lot of different um, perspectives to accomplish that. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And, and Jill, on your side of the house, how does that tie? Because I mean, the the fishery biology, the biology is huge because it's ever, you know, fish are fish, but yeah. you know, red tide, uh, all climate, all the all these things, all that plies into the biology. How does that tie in with the FWC on you, on your side? Um, so just to clarify, I don't do as much research, but, okay. um, as, as, as so much as the public information side, um, but I am a, a fisheries biologist. Um, so I'm a little bit different than what Emily does, but also similar. Um, but I mean, our research staff is just incredible because we have so many people that specialize in so many different things. Um, and it really, um, is is such a credit to all of them that they look at all of these different parts to you know do their best to maintain the health of our of our populations and keep their fingers on the pulse of um of our natural resources i hope that kind of answers that question. oh it does it, it absolutely does i mean we've seen it I'm, I'm moving a little bit from fishing into hunting here i mean we've seen it when it comes down to yeah. dissecting you know if you, you we if one hunter opens up a deer and finds a massive breakdown inside that's important because it's like whoa what's happening here it's the same with the fish you know if i open up a pompano and all of a sudden i've got a whole lot of weird looking spores right center on the spine i'm like ooh, that's not good you know and if i do it on several that would be a phone call to your department probably like um bad something really bad is going yeah. on here yes that would definitely go to our um our fish fish health section in St. Petersburg. Um, and we have, we do have a whole section that's dedicated to uh, fish health. So um, if someone did see something like a fish kill or um, a lot of uh, something in a lot of fish, um, that, that is who they would notify. And um, we have incredible scientists there that are just so much smarter than me um, and, and really experts in their field. Oh, come on. Don't downplay you. Come on. I know you're in the game. Jeez. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've spent some time with some of those guys and gals and believe me the the amount of specialization that they have and the amount of knowledge they have is it just, it, it really is um, humbling. So I, I can confidently say that they are much smarter than me. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> well, let's move in. We, we, you mentioned the important word of conservation and 
Okay, I am not a tree hugger before any of the listeners start going, oh, after this question, but I do believe in conservation because I would love for my great-grandkids to be able to catch these fish or something or hunting one day. These are important. So how does the FWC assist in saltwater conservation? So that is a really great question and kind of my part of my bread and butter um, is, you know, there are a number of different things that we do on a daily basis. Um, we teach anglers of all ages and experience levels about um, their best fishing practices so that uh, we can really help sustain Florida's valuable and iconic fisheries like redfish, snook, and spotted sea trout. Um, we help deploy and monitor artificial reefs, um, which are obviously designed to provide uh, recreational fishing and diving opportunities, increase structure, uh, structural habitat for reef-dependent uh, reef fish, you know, and invertebrates. Can't forget about the invertebrates. Um, and so we also, uh, you know, I feel like inverts get a bad rap and they're really cool. (laughs) No, it's all good. Um, I mean, you can completely expound on that if you want, but no, I think it's great that you're like, they get a bad rap. They should be a part of this. They're important. Well, you know, no, you just, you know, I feel like people just don't really get as excited about sea hairs and, you know, some of those echinoderms and stuff as they could. That's just a personal personal thing but i just really love sea hairs <laughs> but i digress um uh, but i digress um bringing it back to conservation um we also just uh improve boat ramps at both existing and creating new ones so that we make sure that boaters um, and anglers are having uh, more access to the water also prom- uh, promoting water safety um and then we also we have a lot of things um so we also have like i said i can't say enough good things about our extensive research and monitoring programs that look at florida's fish populations and invertebrates um (laughs) coral reefs seagrasses aquatic habitats um just to make sure that we're informing management strategies and uh, also technology development and um we also work with anglers to encourage monofilament recovery and recycling keeping that stuff out of the environment And um, last but certainly not least, uh, we also do a lot of work with stakeholders to gather public feedback on proposed management strategy, including uh, regulations like daily bag limits, slot limits, um, as well as make sure that we are doing our best to communicate all of this information so that um, they know what's what's happening with the resources. Um, So we do a few things. Yeah. Just a few. Yeah, there's a few in there. (laughs) Wow. That's a lot. That's so cool. I mean, that, that, that's, there's so many different things. I, I never would have expected that. I mean, I, I again, I, I get a lot of that piece you were talking about. I didn't realize it went in that depth on your department field. That's phenomenal. Way to go. Except it's not, not just me. Can't take credit for that. Right, it's right. it's I, our, our whole team, but uh, we do try. The only two things that I don't like when it comes to saltwater is June grass and red tide. So, I mean, though, though, though June grass is important, I understand it. It's important and it's really... <laughs> <laughs> really good for the beach. It's just really bad for fishing, but I <laughs> I can see how that is so important. Um, I, I got to ask this one and I know it's not on here and I apologize, but this is kind of a fun one. Uh, Jill, did you hear about in the panhandle this year, those giant purple jellyfish? I, so I am based out of Jacksonville. I try and keep a special, I try and keep a pulse finger on the pulse of what's going on, but I'm not, hundred percent sure which purple jellyfish you're talking about. I did used to work in the panhandle and I know I have had my share of encounters with different jellyfish, <laughs> but um, I'm not a hundred percent sure which 
species you're talking about, yeah, I so I even, apologize. I don't know. I, I put you on the spot on, a, on one I don't even know the proper name for. All I remember was it was purple, had lots of hairs, and everybody's like, oh, don't worry, they don't sting you. And I'm like, oh, it's a, it, the thing's a size of a freaking basketball. Like, I don't even want to go near it, man. What is this? Oh, were they... Were they purple, purple bluish? Uh, yeah, blue. yeah, I think so. It's per- it, I remember them being very dark because I went out pre-dawn fishing. We were in a tournament, and I was like, "Who threw a bowler hat in the water?" And I kept <laughs> walking down, and I'm like, "Why is it not moving? What is this?" And then the sun came up. Like, what? It, it's got like uh, bright purple uh, in the tentacle area in the mouth, more towards the body, just a very dark outer. But yeah, you just see these hairs as it's moving uh, and it's just a slow moving mass. Somebody said it had been the first time in a few years before they'd seen them up that up close to shore. Um, but it was kind of cool. It was, it was a, cool to see a new species for me anyway. Is it the, the blue button jellyfish? Uh, probably it. Does that and, sound right? I mean, no, I would I, Google I, it, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think well, I remember but, them saying pink meanies on that's it. Um, oh, okay. Pink meanies on a on an article I saw about this back uh, a few months back. Was it like a couple months back? Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. Okay, it wasn't it was too those. long. Yep, that's them. Pink okay. meanie jellyfish. Pink meanies. Totally cool. Weird. Okay. Totally cool. <laughs> They are pretty cool. Sorry. I mean, this is this is the downside of my podcast is I am very, very good at, you know, squirrel uh, uh, when it comes to species because th- there's so many cool things in the water. Oh, my gosh. I, I am, I'm a water person. I mean, I've spent pretty much my whole life somewhere on the water. I mean, it was a joy growing up in the Navy family. We were always close to water somehow, some way. So, I mean, snorkeling, scuba diving. You, you get to really awesome. love fish, except barracuda. Um, but, you know, you really get to... <laughs> It's it's an irrational fear. <laughs> we we don't need to go into the childhood psychosis of that little fun conversation. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's really cool of all these things that we have in the ocean and seeing new species, you know, coming up on shore, close to shore. It's really cool for me. Um, a lot of other fishers, anglers that were out there the day I was there, they were like, I don't know what that is, but it's really freaky looking. You know, oh, it's really cool. It does this. Oh, we haven't seen it yeah. in a couple of years. That's really cool. You know, that so. Having that side and talking to you, your department on that, I'm kind of like, yeah, kind of giddy. I shouldn't be, but I kind of am. Like, it's really cool. It's really cool. So. It's cool. <laughs> we got way off track. I am so sorry. And I'm not editing it out. You all have to deal with me. <laughs> all right. Um, Emily, anything to throw in on that one for uh, saltwater conservation? Nope. Okay. No, sir. All Jill side. Got it. All right. So we were moving into the next one here, mentioning on uh, providing more fishing opportunities and gathering data to inform regulations. How is the balance maintained between the sport and conservation? That's a really good question. Um, You know, you've already talked about what a big, huge job it is to um, manage and conserve fish um, and wildlife in Florida. And um, so we don't work alone to maintain that balance between fishing and conservation. And um, lucky for us, Florida's anglers are some of the most passionate conservationists. Um, And we always encourage them to give us feedback on any fisheries topic that they feel strongly about. Um, Additionally, through their purchases of licenses, fishing tackle, electric trolling motors, marine fuel, and many other things, um, they support conservation efforts including fisheries management, habitat restoration, aquatic education, fisheries research, and more. We research and share conservation-focused best fishing practices that anglers use to help 
increase the survival of released fish. Um, and anglers also pass these values and skills to future generations of anglers to keep the passion for fishing and conservation alive. Um, through our conservation programs and management strategies, we work in partnership with anglers and organizations and other state and federal agencies to maintain that balance between the sport of fishing and the conservation of fish and the habitats they call home. Um, we really, really want anglers to have healthy fish populations that they can catch for generations, which you were talking about earlier. And that's something that we're continuously mindful of in everything that we do. Um, we really want anglers to have access to our amazing fisheries, and we also want to make sure that these fisheries are sustainable long term for many generations to come. So that's how we balance it. That's a delicate balance. It is. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I was like, I mean, I I had a I had a very very light view of that, but you just you went way far. Holy crap! Wow, <laughs> way to go! Good job. There's a lot. There's a lot that we do, and we're really proud to do it. And you're right; it's a it's not common knowledge. All of the pieces, all of the moving pieces that we have. So we're really excited for the opportunity to share about it too, and excited for the opportunity to explain um, how anglers can help as well well please keep it coming i mean <laughs> we're we're right on track i mean uh I, I almost don't want to ask the next question because i mean it's it's just we're gonna go into a fun ball here oh i'm like stupid excited <laughs> um well tell you what before we go into that let's do let, let's knock out the important thing for uh for my side of the house first let's go ahead and get right into these bait checks It is your first bait check of the episode. Make sure you bring that line in. Check it to make sure you got something on there. Because the fish are pretty quick. They like to take that stuff off the hook and run. So if it didn't work for you in the first 25 minutes, maybe you need to change your bait up. Try to do that. Throw it back out there. This bait check is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. If you need floats, terminal tackle, rigs, hooks, hey, they got you covered. DS Custom Tackle has a wide variety of different sets of gear that you can use for fishing. Maybe you need these glow-in-the-dark floats because night fishing is getting hot for the wintertime. Oh, yeah, they got them. Maybe you need something smaller. Maybe you need a squid setup. They got it. Head on over to DSCustomTackle.com. Get yourself set up for success. So management is... It's oh, it's, a, it's a borderline buzzword. I hate to say it like that. Um, because when you start talking management, so many people can go a different way with that word. Um, with you all on the management piece, again... Another word that people are like, well, management means slapping me down. No, no, it doesn't. So let's talk about FWC's management strategies. What is a method to determine catch and slot size and limits for species? So this is a great question, and I actually really appreciate you giving us the opportunity to explain this because it's something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily fully understand, but when you explain it, it, it does tend to make a little bit more sense. Um, so thank you for giving us the, the opportunity to explain that. Um, so obviously our job is to ensure that um, Florida's fisheries are sustainable. And, you know, fish are a public resource. They're not privately owned unless, you know, you've got some in your fish tank. Um, in which case, take me fishing there. Um, so, so, <laughs> We're all going to Bass Pro Shop after but, this. Let's go. They've got, right. the, they've got the good fish tank. <laughs> for real. But in, in general, you know, fish, fish in the ocean um, are not privately owned. Um, so that's why we need these rules. And if they're not set, um, if, you know, if there aren't uh, limits that are set um, a number of, and a certain number removed, um, it's likely that fish populations will eventually be overfished. Um, 
So, you know, this work is really part of the public trust and uh, the government acts on the behalf of the public to manage this resource for the benefits and for the resource of the people. So daily bag limits and size limits are part of ensuring that Florida's fisheries are sustainable, even if people don't like it. Um, yep. And SWC's Fish and Wildlife uh, Research Institute um, is the one I, I've spoken to them a few times already, um, and they're the ones that monitor the health of the different species. They study their life cycles, their breeding cycles, habitat needs. They, they do so much research. And this data, along with um, input from stakeholders, is used to inform some of these management strategies so that we can conserve these fish for future generations of anglers, which, you know, as you said, is what we all want. And so size limits, um, and this includes slot limits, um, but not just slot limits, um, but so size limits in general are largely based on the life history of the fish. And um, often slot limits specifically are designed to allow fish to reach maturity and then also protect those larder reproducing adults. So that's why you kind of have that little slot right in between there. Um, and because those larger adults are kind of referred to as broodstock, they typically have higher reproduction potential. So they make a lot of babies and those babies tend to be higher quality. Um, and then bag limits are tend to be based on what our models think would be a safe number of individuals um, to remove from the populations without compromising the stock. So there, there is usually a good bit of science that goes into both of these regulations. It sounds like it. And before anyone starts thinking, oh, he's going to ask it, he's going to ask it. Uh, no, I'm not digging into commercial versus private anglers. So you all can go ahead and settle down on that before you get all excited. No, no, we're not doing that. My personal thought when it comes down to this, uh, it is a very unpopular opinion that actually the only person that knew about it before I'm saying this is my fishing buddy, Justin, uh, from Justin Reed Fishing. He knows my stance on this. Uh, just because you can catch a limit doesn't mean you need to. Now, you do what you want as long as you're within the regs. Hey, you do you. Uh, I'm me personally. I'm uh, I'm going to get what I need, and I'm going to call it good. But that being said, I loved what you brought up about what I you know the breeders, the super breeders, or what I call them. Um, and a perfect example for that is the black drum. You can keep one over slot. You absolutely can. But in keeping that one big black drum that in reality is going to be chock full of worms that just took out a couple thousand fish over the next three to five years easily. That's just my opinion. I don't know if you want to, what your thoughts are on that. I think maybe my number's skewed, but I really believe that if you take out these super breeders, you're just hurting yourself down the road. I mean, so one of the things you said is something that we really encourage anglers to, you know, do in their daily practices, you know, limit your catch instead of catching your limit. And I mean, yes, a black drum is a, is a great example. Larger fish produce, you know, more eggs, more yeah. sperm, and uh, a higher quality. So yes, uh, the chances of taking, in most cases, um, taking those larger fish uh, does tend to um, have a, a little bit more of an impact than a smaller fish yeah. um, for a lot of these uh, bigger species. Yeah, conservation is, I mean, conserving our, our future catches is, it's not as hard as people would think. I mean... Is it fun to catch the fish? Yes, we all know that the tug is the drug. And there's nothing better than pulling up that trophy fish and getting that great Facebook pose or for your Instagram with the big smile, you know, and you're like, yeah, I caught this fish. And when you bring it home and your wife looks at the picture and says, why is it you only smile in fish pictures and not in like our wedding pictures? What, what's the story there? You know, th that's all fine and dandy, but on the same one, there's, there's second, third, fourth order effect of 
you know, catching these pieces. But again, not telling you not to. I love what you said. You know, yes, you can catch a limit, but also limit what you catch. That's brilliant. Uh, I, I love that. So thank you for thank you for putting it out like that. That was that was really great. Well, thank you for uh, providing the segue, and I, I can't take credit for that either. That uh, my predecessor came up with that. But. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it's it. I'm really good at segues. <laughs> I'm really good at just derailing my own train. Uh, so when we're talking about limits, because this is a perfect next question into that, why are limits so different between the zones of Florida? That is a question that we get asked a lot. And so I'm excited to give you an answer. Florida has 45 different types of habitats, including 13 marine habitats like coral reefs, coastal tidal rivers, or pelagic waters. Um, these habitats are just one of the reasons we create different management regions with different limits. Another reason um, is that having the smaller regions allows us to address, address localized issues um, like harmful algal blooms like you were talking about. Florida is also the only state in the lower 48 that manages fisheries in two distinct bodies of water. Um, the Gulf of Mexico on the West Coast and the Atlantic Ocean on the East Coast. And different species are found on each coast and are managed in partnership with different federal agencies. Um, there are also genetic and behavioral differences in some of these management areas, so they need to be regulated differently. So we talked about the big job that we do um, in, in conservation, and, and this is a big part of it but also the, the management behind the scenes of how many different, how many moving pieces there are, including the different types of habitats. Um, it's, it's critical to have different zones and, and limits different between the zones. It's really easy to, I don't know, I, I've had this argument with a couple of friends. Well, I guess I can't call it an argument. We've had a very spirited conversation um, about limits uh, differentiating between the East Coast and the Panhandle. A perfect example, I come over to Jacksonville, uh, I fish a few tournaments uh, up and down the eastern side of Florida uh, throughout the year, and you know, people are like, well, we can catch this here. I'm like, man, I wish I could catch that here. Like like trigger fish, you know, you can catch more triggers out in the in the Atlantic side than you can the Gulf. And people are like, well, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, well, let's talk about it. And of course, we're all, you know, solving the world's problems over fishing. So, I'm glad you brought that up because it is so different with the different bodies of water and the different pieces. It sucks, sure. Definitely. But it it makes sense of why it's done that way. Well, it's just challenging. And there's, um, it's challenging managing uh, with, in, in partnership with different federal agencies. You know, we cannot control where these fish go. And a lot of these fish are traveling far outside of Florida state waters. <laughs> so, yeah. um, there's just so many moving pieces and um, having these zones be um, managed differently helps us to helps us to address any localized issues and that's and, and keeps us um, in compliance with our federal partners as well. Ah, see, that's the part I think a lot of people forget is that F word fed. Yeah, it's not <laughs> ah, slight. All right. I'm going on a tangent. You done messed it. All right, it happened. Florida Fish and Wildlife <laughs> Conservation Commission. In that world, and those words that we just put together, the word Florida's there. Florida is a state, not the federal. And I think that the federal one is a lot of people kind of like, wait, why is federal involved in this? Federal waters, state waters, I get it. But those two pieces work together. They have to. 
It's it's not a right. one way street. They have to work together. Right. The federal agencies that we work with are usually have representatives from each of the states that are a part of those federal agencies. So we're working with partners from Georgia, South Carolina, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas to make sure that we're all on the same page. You know, we're working together as a team and that is just an additional moving piece to to work around when we're doing management. You start talking about these ones, you know, another there's so many different ones. Oh my gosh. I mean, with the conservation coalitions, we've got several. I mean, we met a couple at ICAST uh, last time, what, this last year, it, with all the same thing in mind. It's not to go against the angler. Yeah, they're all, every conservation group that I've talked to about outdoor fishing, they're all for it. They're, they're for the fishing. They're for outdoor e- exploration. They're all for hunting. But <laughs> they're also for doing it smartly and making it so we can have more throughout the time. So it, it's... It's a delicate balance, and you've definitely crushed that. And I appreciate your patience when candor with me kind of going off on those because it's it's important. It really is. We agree. It's definitely important. So when, For we're, sure. when we're talking about the, the populations of fish, what can anglers do to help local fish populations? That is a great question. And obviously, anglers play a really critical role in conservation of our fisheries. They're, you know, they're the ones who, who make this all possible. Um, and, you know, we're lucky in Florida that our anglers are some of the most passionate conservationists, you know, ever. So um, the most impactful way that uh, anglers can help ensure future generations of Florida anglers have these abundant fishing opportunities is by staying up to date on the best fishing practices and regulations like bag and size limits, like seasons closures, um, using, and using the right gear properly. Um, our website, myfwc.com, is a great resource for information on you know the, some of the latest conservation focused uh, fishing practices and regulations um, but there are also some other really great resources out there for anglers as well um, the fish rules app is a really great one we work really closely with them to make sure they have all of um, the most up-to-date uh, information for our um, for our rules and regulations um, we also know that uh, anglers get a lot of their information from other anglers. So when we're, you know, sharing best fishing practices and regulation updates with newer anglers, um, you know, we know that they, they, you know, need to need to know this information. And so really the, uh, it's the most impactful way to connect with conservation is, is sharing your knowledge with people and making sure that you're up to date on this information. Um, and also um, just, you know, individual anglers spreading the word um, we're able to cast this wider net and really have a bigger impact, which means healthier fish populations and, and future fishing opportunities. So just um, making sure that people are as informed as possible, what they're catching, how to handle their fish, um, and, and you know, know what they're catching also. Yeah, that partnership of Fish Rules I thought was absolutely brilliant. That app has, well, it's saved my butt a couple times, that's for sure, especially in different zones. That, that whole thing working together, really, really great partnership. Yeah, and that they're so so accommodating and working with us. They're you know really concerned with making sure that anglers have the best information possible and are just you know a lot of times willing to bend over backwards to to work with us to to make sure that they can provide that information to the anglers. Yeah. So this next part, we're going to talk about one of the programs that FWC has been. You guys have been really touting this for a little while now. Um, and when I first moved to Florida, I'd heard about it, and I was kind of like, well, this is a boat thing. This has nothing to do with me in the surf. But 
in a way, after hearing more about it, I was kind of like, well, it kind of does play with us in the surf. I mean, I got to bring it, I got to get them back out there so they can live. But with, we're going to talk about this one because it's, it is important for the boat people and for this, uh, for the offshore side, because this is a, uh, this is a big deal. Uh, it's been happening. My next door neighbor is, uh, he's on the commercial or I'm sorry, he's in the charter boat industry. He's always out there. He's on the deep, deep drops. You know, he, he's, he impressed me when I went out fishing with him. He's like, hold on, dude, we gotta, we gotta put this device on. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, gotta get the fish back down to a certain depth. So let's talk about it. What is the return them right program? That's so awesome uh, that there are folks already making sure that they're using these uh, descending devices and venting tools. So the Return Them Right program, um, it's a project partnership between a coalition of anglers and industry groups, um, state agencies like us at FWC, federal agencies, government organizations and non-government organizations. So lots of people are on this um, partnership and we're all committed to maintaining healthy fish stocks and fishing access in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, the project provides training and gear to anglers to improve the survival of reef fish and benefit the health of health of the fishery um, as well as funding studies to address uh, depredation, release mortality concerns, and monitor descending device effectiveness. This question wasn't in here that I was going to send to you. Uh, when it comes to the descending devices and the venting tool. I, I saw this once on social media. You know, I always hate starting a sentence with that, but <laughs> it was a really interesting point that somebody popped up and a lot of anglers actually answered the question properly. And of course we have our normal trolls because what's life without trolls, even though they're useless. Sorry, I'll say that out loud. The venting tool doesn't kill the fish and people are like, Oh, you're stabbing the fish. no, 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 no. This is a huge savior tool. I, I, Definitely. Um, but venting tools are uh, are not the same as knives and ice picks and hooks, which Thank we uh, know that people have used um, to, to help release expanded gases from the swim bladder of the fish that they're with. The venting tools are very specific tools that have hollow instruments, that have hollow insides of the needles and that's what helps release the expanded gas but um but yeah using something other than an actual venting tool um can cause more harm than good yes and I, thank you for bringing it up that way because that was probably the proper way for me to say it because i have seen a couple people you know pull out the old knife like don't do it that's not Scary. venting it you're just you're just giving flipper a meal i mean you might as well just drop them <laughs> flipper's gonna come up and eat them anyway um but yeah, so why are descending devices, you kind of answered this one. So let's talk about the descending devices because there's more than one um, that I've seen, but there's a couple that uh, y'all really like, and it's like, hey, this one really helps. So let's talk about that. What are they and why are descending devices and venting tools so important? Um, so that's a great question. And just before we get too far into it, I'm just going to throw out the description of a descending device again, just because, you know, I feel like we've been talking for this with this for a long time, but I still get people that come up to me and aren't necessarily familiar with them. So these descending devices are tools with uh, the large weights attached. Um, usually they're uh, attached to a designated fishing rod and they help get those um, fish back down to the appropriate depth. Obviously, when you're taking those fish from the deeper water, there's a lot of pressure at the bottom, not a lot of pressure at the top. And so that's what causes the barotrauma. And that's why we, um, you know, have these issues with them not being able to swim down. 
And so there are several different types. Um, the lip clamp is one that obviously clamps on the fish's lip, um, and then you know you send them back down with a large weight. Um, then there's uh, an inverted hook, and with that one, it's pretty self-explanatory, and you will stick that you know that hook part through the hole that you made with the fish with the um, with the hook bringing it up, and you'll just put it kind of back down there and give it a um, with the, both the lift clamp and the inverted hook, you'll give it a jig when it re reaches down to that um, that depth. And then the fish elevator um, is kind of like an upside down weighted milk crate that you just kind of send them back down like an elevator. <laughs> um, and all of those, you know, um, help them get back down to that depth and give them a better chance of survival. And um, then Emily did a great job explaining what those venting tools are that um, allow those gases to escape so they have a better chance of survival. And so the reason that these are so, um, you know, important is that um, they help increase the survival of these reef fish species like grouper and snapper. When they, you know, are up at the surface, they are experiencing that term of barotrauma, which, you know, is when the stomach comes out of the mouth. Sometimes they look bloated. Sometimes the eyes pop out. It's really very attractive. Um, but when they're experiencing that, they are not able to swim back down. So they're just kind of sitting there on the surface. They're not able to evade predators and they can either, you know, be very easily predated or they can, you know, perish due to exposure. So these tools give them a better chance of survival so that they can get back down to a depth where they can, you know, be recompressed and, you know, evade predators and have a better chance of survival. Um, and really what we're trying to do is reduce discard mortality or the death after release um, because that is, you know, obviously if you throw a fish back, you want it to survive another day. And so um, this kind of helps reduce that overall. And um, I, I have actually seen them work when I was on a tagging trip. We scented some fish and then literally caught them the next day because we were tagging them. So I, I get that question a lot. Do you know that these work? I have literally seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I've always wanted the, you know, you catch a certain fish and it's almost like you want to put a Sharpie mark on there. Like, oh, are you coming back? Are you my fish? You, know, you, you almost want to know if it's the same one because I, I can't tell you the amount of times I've pulled the same, I, I swear it's the same fish. And like, what, what are you doing here? I, I just threw you back. Why are you back here? So that's really cool that you were able to do that with a tag. That's well, very nice. Um, the, yeah, I've yeah. never heard about the fish elevator though. That's a new one. It's, it's sometimes a little bit less efficient because it's, you have to actually hand line it down. Ooh. So if you're in really deep water, it may not be my personal first choice. Um, but it is also a very protected way to get the fish down there. So it's, um, the nice thing about descending devices is there are a lot of different varieties and anglers can find a, kind of find the one that they think works best for them in their situation. The dedicated rod for descending is, I grant, I, I know somebody's going to be like, ugh, that rod. It's like, but it's not like you're derigging your current rod to descend, and then, you know, you're not doing that with a timeline. But having that recommendation of a single rod for returning the fish right, that's that's a smart add in there it's just it makes things better it's like look we have it all in stock we're all good to go just move it over one person does that it is what it is when you get to catch them mm -hmm. again so that's kind of cool and the difference in the devices that's that's very helpful and how do people get their hands i know this isn't in here so i'm sorry i'm going to ask but how do people get their hands on these descending devices and venting tools so there are like with uh 
the commercial society that we live in, there are lots of different ways. Um, a lot of the um, larger name uh, tackle shops will have them. Okay. Also online, a lot of them sell them online. And, um, you know, there, there are some resources on our website as well that um, will usually, um, that will usually have that. Oh, somebody's getting a work call. Ooh. Uh, that was actually my cat jumping over my computer. Oh, <laughs> the cat. Even better. Oh. Even better. I was say, we made it till three o'clock without him calling someone. So. I almost, oh, that's just wonder. Like, oh, I don't even want to edit that out. I might not because, you know, that's <laughs> you just, shouldn't. that's just the reality. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how we do things the, on this podcast. The it's of working real from home with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Well, we're going to transition here into the next part, and with a transition comes a great paycheck. So let's go ahead and do that. It is your second bait check of the episode. Hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish that you've never caught before. Cool things to take pictures of because you're going to want to save them. Also measure them. Because next episode we talk to them, you're going to want to really keep it. Lots of good stuff coming. Can't tell you now. But hopefully you're catching some good fish and you're having a great day out there. This bait check is being brought to you by The Sinker Guy. Head on over to thesinkerguy.com and take a look at all the stuff that Chip's got going on in The Sinker Guy Garage. The Bruno Rig. We don't talk about Bruno. No, we don't talk about Bruno. Excellent rig. You can get your hands on those. My absolute favorite, the Mortician Rig. A very highly effective and very adaptable to your fishing environment rig out there sinkers oh yeah he's got those too it's kind of in his name if you need any other kind of equipment he's got you covered scissors terminal tackle maybe you need a blade how about some bait he's got you covered head on over to the sinkerguy.com get your order in today so now that we're moving into a very uh oh dare i say touchy subject <laughs> um because uh this one word uh, on the world of social media comes out and um, people lose their mind. So sharks is extremely touchy and the online course that's available is a great tool for helping people learn and understand the regulations. They're getting the beginning. What other resources are recommended or available via the FWC for this type of fishing? Well, as you mentioned, <clears throat> our online shark smart fishing course is an excellent resource for anglers who are interested in shark fishing it teacher, teaches anglers, um, like you said, about regulations, shark identification, best practices for shark fishing, which include not fishing for sharks near swimmers and using proper tackle um, <laughs> and releasing sharks safely, you know, things like that. Um, and, and this is the best FWC resource for shark fishing. However, sharks are a highly migratory species that are managed by the national oceanic and atmospheric administration or you may know them as NOAA. Um, so NOAA's website is another great resource for anyone with questions about or interested in shark fishing. Okay perfect thank you for a little bit of direction to go with on that one. Well I've been fortunate enough to interview several shark charters um, shark charter captains, teams, it's been great. Uh, not only here in Florida, but Texas, uh, in North Carolina, South Carolina too, actually now. That's right. I did do one. It, one of the biggest things that I ask them every time is, are you a tagger? You know, do you tag for no? Like, oh yeah, that's, we all do that. And we all talk and we're all, all these different shark teams are out here really trying to help people understand that, look, we're not out here just killing sharks and we're not out here to bring them closer to shore. Hold on, parenthesis. Um, in case y'all didn't know, 
sharks are near the shore anyway. Um, <laughs> the, the anglers aren't bringing them closer to shore to mess with you. They were there the whole time, I promise. They, you just didn't see it. But th- these teams have really surprised me with the amount of knowledge that they try to get out to the public and try to help people understand that sharks are really amazing creatures and the catching of it, yeah, it's great, but there's other pieces that come with that. They're helping the future development. They're helping tag. They're helping refer, you know, back to Noah. Like, hey, look, you know, this shark we tag, we caught, we got the tag. Um, when was the last time it was tagged? All these pieces work together. So your education platform is a great starter and for people to really start learning. Uh, and one thing I definitely tell a lot of surf anglers is it's not a matter of if you catch a shark. It's a matter of when you catch the shark because you're going to catch one. It, it's, it's just happens. There's nothing you can do about it, but you need to understand the regulations and proper handling. So you don't make a mistake and get bit like the other Jack wagon. We saw get his chest bit by grabbing the tail of that shark. That was a great lesson learned. Um, but it, there's so many great resources and y'all are really helping out with that. So thank you so much for giving us a little bit more. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, you try not to laugh at that guy that got bit by the shark. Come on, it was funny. That guy totally, that guy that totally deserved awful. it. That sounds awful. I know, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't put you on the spot like that. <laughs> but when I saw that video, that dude holding the shark by the tail, I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, he got his nipple pierced. Oh, yep, you learned a lesson today, son. Yeah, you did. And, and in all the comments, it was the same thing. You don't hold a shark by the tail. It can bite its tail. Even out of water, no, it can bite its tail. It is so important for anglers to to know um, what they're getting into when they're going fishing. And um, it's important for them to um, take a second and, and, and look up some resources to see if they can learn about, about best fishing practices and, um, you know, take their, take their angling to the next level and, and pass along that information to future fisher, fishermen, whether they're, fishing for sharks or fishing for any other species. It's so important so that you protect yourself, but also the people around you. Um, yeah. No, it's, you nailed it. I mean, it's, that's true because if you're pulling fish out of the water and you don't know what you're catching, you're already one step behind because there's nothing right. and it happens. And we all know it's not always on purpose. There's always that one angler that has a fish that they're not supposed to have in the cooler because they were like, oh, well, I thought it was this, or I thought right. it was in season. You, you got to know these pieces because no FWC officer wants to write you a ticket. It's it's like a regular cop. No cop wants to do paperwork. Paperwork sucks. But on the top of that, there's another order of effect of what happened there. So, you know, it's knowing the rules and regulations is a huge savior for yourself, but also the fish. So as I started with the podcast, I did say... We will not be discussing policy, nor disputing policy. However, no, no, really not. Ha <laughs> ha, got you guys. Where do anglers or hunters go to discuss or dispute policy? So that is a really great question. Um, and I really want to emphasize that we at the FWC want to hear from literally all of the stakeholders. We want all of the information. And this definitely includes our anglers and our hunters. And we really encourage the public to attend our commission meetings and public workshops. Come, you know, interface with us, come see us face to face. And um, they can also share their comments online if that's not convenient. Um, and if anyone is interested in learning more about our commission meetings, public workshops, or submitting a public comment, 
they can uh, visit our website. So myfwc.com, we have all of our upcoming commission meetings listed there. Um, and we also have a, a page where they can submit comments on specific hot topics, but also really anything that they want to give us a comment on. And they can also call us at 850-487-4676. Uh, and there will be someone who will be very excited to talk to them about literally whatever they want to talk to us about. And I, I genuinely mean that some of our our um, phone operators are some of the nicest, most caring people who will just go out of their way to try and find the answers for people. So um, we really want to hear from anyone who wants to talk to us. I mean, you might want to let them know they might get some calls, but uh, <laughs> I think that's great. I mean, <laughs> having a resource to call somebody, I I'm old school. Uh, I know how people are like, oh, text me. No, I'm going to call you. Um, <laughs> I Getting sometimes you just need that answer. So having a phone center like that, that's really, that's really helpful. And that number again was 850-487-4676, correct? Yes. Sorry, I had it right in front of me that's and then my okay. cat walked across my computer again cat strikes <laughs> yes, again <laughs> he's uh he really likes to be in my business but it, it is 850-487-4676 perfect all right he also be... cares about conservation <laughs> he does <laughs> <laughs> this cat's getting its own spot we might have to put a picture of the cat in this uh, <laughs> this is just great <laughs> popped up out of nowhere <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, ladies, that's all the questions I have for you. And really, thank you so, so much. And I do mean this so very much for taking all the time out of your day to answer these questions. And there, I know we got a lot more things coming that we can't talk about yet, but there's a little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, I'm really appreciative of the time that you took to even think about doing this. And all the hard work you are doing. It sounds like you've got your hands full as it is. And just taking this time was a great help to not only me, but everybody listening. So seriously, thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us and, and giving us the opportunity to, to, you know, share some of this information with your listeners. Cause like the more, the more people we can, you know, inform and educate uh, the better off I think we'll all be. Agree. Thank you so much, Brian. Um, we really look forward to continuing chatting with you about the exciting stuff that we're doing, um, the conservation work that we're doing, and also saltwater angler recognition that we're doing. Um, and yeah, we're super excited to, um, to, to do the work that we do um, and, uh, and work for and with the people that we work for and with uh, Florida's anglers. We're thrilled to be um, in this field. So it's an honor to talk about it, truly. Mm, outstanding. All right, ladies, we will be talking soon, and uh, you have a great day. Thanks, Brian. You too. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that this episode helped you because it, it definitely helped me. I definitely pulled a couple other pieces in there that I didn't have from before, and I've got some homework to do. I definitely have some things I need to pull up and help keep my edge real sharp on understanding the things that are happening. Again, like I said, we weren't going to discuss policy. And if you want to, they already gave you the avenue of how if something you don't like or something that you have a good idea and you want to bring up to light, make your voice heard. Don't just be an online troll or keep it in your head. Just get it out there. It, good, bad, or indifferent. They're going to want to hear about it. it. It's there. I mean, we pretty much just nailed it all throughout this whole podcast and the whole episode. So again, reach out. 
Lots of other great pieces in there. If you need any of the references, head on back to the website, findingdemosurfishing.com. They will be in the description. There will be hyperlinks to all these pieces that we discussed, and uh, the number will be put on there. So you'll always have a resource available at your fingertips if you need it. Come back, hit that, call them, and get it taken care of. Special mention to Ninja Tackle. Head on over to ninjatackleva.com and take a look at all the amazing, crazy things that Matt is doing over there because there's a lot of stuff happening over at Ninja Tackle. The Bummy Stick, oh yeah, it's still in stock. You can get your hands on it. 12-foot Ninja Dagger, I have two. I love them. Not to mention they got the Dagger Series all the way down to 7-foot. I can't leave my house to go fishing without my 7-foot rod. It doesn't matter if I'm going into the saltwater or out to the beach or into the causeway. I'm taking that rod with me. Maybe you need some other things in there. Maybe you need belay knife, bait, rigs. Got you completely covered. NinjaTackleVA.com. Get yourself set up for success. You're going to be very thankful you did. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you've listened to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. Thanks for being here. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you next week. I am out of here.